Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Man, we are so excited you're here this morning. My name is Ben Chapman. I am one of the pastors at Luminous Church. And so if you are here this morning, I am so glad that you're here. All of you are here. What I mean is if you're a guest and you're new here, I'm glad you're here also. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. That's where we're going to be today, Hebrews chapter 11. And this has been our series of great faith, what it means to have great faith. How many of us just need a little bit of faith this morning? Yeah, a lot of us need just a little bit of faith. A lot of us probably need a lot of faith. Like I need an injection of faith, pastor. Can you hook me up to the faith IV this morning? And and so I'm praying that the faith IV would come inside of you this morning and just fill you up where you're overflowing so that you can get to next Sunday. And, and that's really my prayer is that you would be able to get from Sunday to Sunday as God said that you would move from glory to glory. And so that's our prayer. That's our heart is that you would move from glory to glory, strength to strength. That, that we move throughout this journey and a journey has ups and downs and this faith journey has ups and downs and and I love Hebrews 11 because Hebrews 11 is like the verse that I went to often, the chapter that I went to often. It is called the Hall of Faith. Some people call it the Hall of Fame, right? And so um, how many of you love the Hall of Fame? Like in the Hall of Fame, there's all these idols or, or superstars in the Hall of Fame that you admire, maybe from NASCAR or the football. And, and every great sport has a Hall of Fame, doesn't it? Every great sport has people, and you look at them, and, and as we look to them, you begin to emulate them, don't you? If, you? if you play football, you start emulating those who are in the Hall of Fame, who've gone before you who set the tone, set the pace. If, if you're um, a NASCAR driver on 1604, you know, you're looking to the Hall of Fame. You're looking at, at this and what's happening. And, and so we all emulate this. And, and this really what this chapter is all about is emulation, is that we would emulate those who've gone before us, those who have walked this walk, those who have ran this race well, those who have had faith in the past. And there's 1,300 years B.C. of people in this chapter who have great faith, and we read about their stories, and then, and then we read about these stories of those in the New Testament had great faith, and so this is a very encouraging time, and, and when I think about emulating something or someone, I realize I don't emulate perfectly. Anybody else out there? I mean, I don't throw a football, you know, like Troy Aikman. I don't, I can't, I can't do things like other people do. I, I fall short. And when you read Hebrews 11, you, some of you have been this year reading that, and you're like, man, there's no way I can measure up. There's no way I can do that. And, and I think that's not the goal is to be just like them. It's to look to them for inspiration for your life. And have you any of you been to a wine or canvas, a wine and canvas? 
Wine or canvas. I'll just take the wine without the canvas. A wine and canvas. Have you, have you been to one of those, one of those drawings and you see the artists up there and they're, they're teaching you to draw something. They gra grab a blank canvas, they give you a blank canvas. They grab a brush, they give you a brush. They grab all the right paints, they give you all the right paints and they give you all the instructions step by step on how to draw the perfect masterpiece that you can take home and put up and display as a piece of art next to your Monet or whatever else you have in your house. And it's going to be magnificent. And as you draw it, you have the right paint, you have the right canvas, you have the right brush, you have the right steps. And why does your canvas never look like their canvas? It just doesn't. It's just like my canvas never looks exactly like theirs. In fact, it's most of the time worse. Isn't that true? And I think, you know, that's, that's a lot like our journey of faith is as we look at all these people plowed ahead of us in Hebrews chapter 11, we see as they have plowed and they've gone before us, my faith doesn't look like their faith. How am I ever going to muster up the faith of Moses? How am I ever going to muster up the faith of these, these great people? Enoch walked with God and never tasted death. I mean, how is that even supposed to happen? And what I love about the Bible and what, about, what God does is he sets a standard. He puts a bar out there and he raises the bar and he says, here's the bar. But how many of you know, like, it's really hard maybe to get to that bar or that level of walking in the likeness of Jesus and walking like the disciples walked or walking like Jesus walked. And, and I love the bar, honestly. And the bar I'm talking about today is not one of salvation. Because I believe that the salvation comes to those who simply have faith in Jesus and put their trust in him. It's, it is given to you. It's a gift given to you by, by grace, not by works, so that no man may boast. It is given to you freely. So I'm not talking about salvation. And I just need to preface that because all y'all are going to think I'm Arminian here in a sec. Y'all are going to think I'm works-based theology. I'm not. It's all about grace, all about resting in his grace. And yet, there's this bar that he sets for us in Scripture. Throughout every letter you read, throughout the Gospels, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a bar, a standard set. And I'm so thankful, and I don't know if you are, I'm so thankful he didn't put the bar way down here. I'm, I'm thankful for that because that bar would be easy to jump over. That would be like, oh, man, it's easy to live you know, this holy life. It's easy to live sanctified. Man, I, I should, should just take me to heaven right now because I'm good. I'm not sinning at all. My mind is right completely all the time. I, 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 I'm glad he didn't set the bar there, just like I'm glad the person who is per, 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 painting the picture just didn't put a black dot. Boom. A red dot. Boom. Draw that. How fun is that, right? Like, whoa, man, that was easy. Wow, wow, that, that was good. Man, we all did the dot. That was awesome, you know? Oh, you did dot, you did dot. Everybody looks like everybody did dot, right? He set the standard, and it's beautiful, and it's part of the journey that we're on, and it's, it's one of, of grace, but yet one of sanctification, which I mean by that is just becoming more like Jesus, becoming more like him. And so this journey of faith is becoming more like Jesus and what it looks like. So let's read Hebrews eleven thirty two through chapter 12, verse 2. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, 
quench the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. This is crazy. This faith right here is just, how are we to obtain such faith? I mean, I don't even know if I can conquer my day, more or less, a whole country, right? And so it's very challenging. And then women receive their dead by resurrection. I've never seen the dead raised. Like, man, that's, that's great faith. And then he, he, he transitions in here, right here in the middle of verse 35. Some were tortured. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging. And even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these. Though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We have two sets of people here, two categories that the author begins to write about. As we've been studying faith over chapter 11, there's this one category of all those who've seen this supernatural, miraculous deliverance. And then there's a twist in chapter 11 where now we're seeing all those who did not receive miraculous deliverance. There's there's this set that just... Boom, it happens. It's amazing. And, and we call them the heroes of faith. And then there's this other set of people, the other group of people that we call the others. Everybody do that in quotations. Say, the others. Okay, wow, we need some participation. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The others. It's amazing. The others. The others is what I want to talk about today. These are the ones who who suffered, who were flogged, who were beaten, who were persecuted. The others were those who were found in Hebrews as the church was being persecuted, as they were getting the, the, their gut punched and the hope knocked out of them. Those who were almost, I would dare to say, looking maybe to walk away from the faith. Those who had their head down, and, and the others are those who who had this moment where they still had faith, still had faith to the very end. So faith was not about great victories, but faith was this moment of becoming and looking to Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of faith. So those who are in this room, there's those who are having great lives. It's amazing. Everything's going well. You're conquering armies. You're buying companies. You're you're acing your exams. There is no suffering in your life, but it's by faith and God's there. I want to tell you that the, the results of what's happening in your life is not faith. 
Faith is inside in you. It's eternal. It's for your hope in Jesus and looking to him. Because likewise, there's people over here who are suffering, who are being flogged, who are being persecuted, who are down and out, who are being cursed upon, spat upon, who, who are really having struggle. And that's not a result of lack of faith. This is what's important about this scripture is we're seeing that faith is those who are in victories and those who may not be perceived victories because that's not what faith is. Faith is the assurance in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would initiate and begin to walk with these encounters with God. And so if your encounters with God are happening over here when life's good and you have faith and there's victories and there's healings and all this stuff is happening and you're encountering God, that's the faith. And over here when there's pain and there's suffering and there's defeat and there's struggle and it just doesn't look hopeless, but there's encounters with God. That's what faith is, these encounters with God in both moments. And how are you encountering God? And how is he encountering you? That's the exchange of faith that we're talking about. And that's good news. That's good news that whether your season is great or whether your season's hard, faith can be in both seasons. And I just think we should look and, and be reflective of that and be encouraged by that this morning. But I want to speak to those maybe who are enduring some suffering or some pain this morning. Or maybe you know somebody who is enduring some suffering or some pain. What do you do and how do you maintain faith in the midst of pain and suffering? How do you endure this? The first thing you need to do is you need to look back. Everybody say, look back. You need to look back and remember. Remember what God has done before. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember what God is doing. I love Hebrews 11 because... It's a way for me to look back. What has God done before? How have people had great faith? <clears throat> so I want to do an exercise this morning. If you have a phone, and just pull it out with me real quickly. If you would love to participate in church and not just sit in church and praise God. <clears throat> Bring out a phone. Maybe you have a journal. Maybe you have something like that. And, and one of the greatest ways to look back is begin to write. To begin to write, how, how do you know what happened in the past if you never wrote it down? It's amazing how your mind will deceive you. It is very deceptive because your mind usually comes in agreement with whatever emotion that you're feeling in that moment. Isn't that true that we, if you're angry, right, it's going to come in agreement with that. It's hard to break that cycle. And one of the things that I found to break that cycle for us, to not come in agreement with the emotion per se, but to look back and see what God is doing. Look back and see how he's moved. So on your notepad, on your phone, on your journal, or if you so choose to do this later, then that's okay, Aaron. Okay. <clears throat> wow. Wow. Small church. Welcome. Okay. So <laughs> she looked at me. She's like, I have my phone right here. I'll just wait for you to get to the point. Okay. Praise God. I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> I want you to think about how God has moved in your life. What you think, I want to take two minutes and I just want to spend time thinking about what has God done in your life? What victory have you had? This morning, I, 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 I take notes in my phone and I wrote February 9th, 2019. It's journal entry number one for me. And, and I write this journal and I, I, I start reading. And so Psalm 128, 1 through 6 is what I read this morning. I wrote down this scripture and then, and then I just begin to reflect. 
reflect on what Jesus is saying through this scripture, what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to me, maybe some observations and maybe some application of how I want to apply it this week, but also evaluating what happened yesterday. Did I really live according how God wanted me to live? Were there victories in yesterday? Did God get the glory or was it just me complaining the whole time? Did I have a bad attitude with Brandy all day? Yes, I did. I'm repenting right here. I had a bad attitude. You know, did, did I, did, was I short with my kids? Yes, I was short with my kids. I, I'm messed up. I know. I'm flawed. And, and God starts revealing that to me and showing me that. And, and then I remember, but, but what do you say, God? Who am I in you? And how am I going to live differently today? And what, what miracle has happened this week in my life? What miracle has happened in your week, this life, as you're writing it down? What has God done? And what miracle has happened maybe in the past five years, maybe the past 10 years, maybe the past 20 years? What do you remember? What do you recall that God has done? I want to explain miracles real quickly because I think sometimes when you hear a miracle at a church, you feel like it's spooky church, right? And so this is spooky church talking about miracles. But miracles are essentially... When it's the end of you, God intervenes and he moves past the end of you. Meaning, what you're doing in your own strength only gets so far, and then you need God's miraculous power to come in to get you maybe to a new place or a new situation. A lot of us have had miracles. Uh, maybe you haven't seen the dead raised. Maybe you haven't seen the sick healed. But there's miraculous events that have happened in your life. For instance, maybe it was a spouse that came along that you were praying for and you were believing for and, and God supernaturally brings them into your life and, and you meet. That was miraculous. For me, I'll never forget when I was 20 years old. When I was 20 years old, I started following Jesus with my whole heart. Gave my life to Jesus when I was five. I grew up, you know, I grew up in a Baptist church and that's very good because they hammered salvation and I needed that. And at five, I knew salvation, and I accepted that, and I accepted Jesus in my heart. And I, I lived like a pretty good kid, right, like uh, maybe some of you, and I went to church and read the Bible and wasn't perfect. But when I was 20, I, I, I read Luke 19 and read about the rich young ruler and how he couldn't sell everything to follow Jesus. He couldn't leave everything. And I read about this idea of what, what does it really mean to make Jesus Lord of my life, where he would rule and reign over every decision that I make. And everything that I do, what does that look like more fully? And so at 20, I decided, Jesus, you're going to be Lord of my life. I know, I know you saved me from, from, from sin and death. I know I reign with you. I know I'm your son, but I want you to be king. I want you to be Lord. I want you to start affecting my decisions and the way that I think and the way that I move. And at 20 years old, I started selling out to Jesus. And when I was hanging out with a group of guys, they didn't want to sell out to Jesus. They, they, they were fine just being them. They were okay just being okay. They were doing them. And, and, and I loved them so much. But as I followed Jesus, what I found is that when I looked back, I saw what Jesus spoke to me and what he did. But I also saw my friends going another direction. And what happened was we started getting further and further away. And that year when I was 20, as many of you know, maybe you're in that life stage, when you lose all your friends, it becomes very lonely and isolating, doesn't it? Like, man, I'm, I'm pretty isolated right now. Like, well, what do I do? And God did a miracle in my life. He brought this man who was younger than me, and we started hanging out, and we started having God conversations. 
And then we were in college, and we'd stay up real late, and we would go to IHOP at night and just talk about God and talk about the Bible and talk about what that meant. We'd talk about life, and we'd laugh together, and it was amazing. And God started doing a work in my heart, and he, he brought this friend with me to me. And, and 15 years later, Jay, Tom, and I are still best friends, and we're just hanging out. And he, he did a miracle in my life. You see how it wasn't mystical, but it was miraculous? We need to represent that. We need to recognize that because if you can recognize the miracle in the moment, you give God the glory in those miracles. If you can't give God the glory in the little miracles, how are you ever going to do it in the big? Right? And so, so we start giving God glory. Man, God, I'm thankful. And I, so I remember you. I remember when I was lonely, you brought a friend. That was so miraculous. I'm so glad you did that. I'm going to write that down because there's some, there's some things that God did in those moments. And then you begin to have these victories, victory over maybe some, some sin that's been entangling you, victory over maybe some persecution, victory over a situation. You start having victories, and you read about the victories, and you realize, man, God's amazing. He's got me through so many victories, and when you have one victory, it's easier to have another victory. How many of you know that's true? I mean, just ask Tom Brady, hate him or, or, or love him, right, you know? He's been to the Super Bowl, not just once, not just twice, not just three times, but six times. And it does something to you because it puts a confidence inside of you in the confidence I have in Christ Jesus as a son and daughter because I had a victory here and I had a victory here and God did this and Jesus showed me that and I started having victories and now I walk in a confidence. If he did it then, he'll do it again and I start believing that and start pursuing that and rest in that. That's what we're called to do as sons and daughters of Christ Jesus is to begin to have these victories. But man, the enemy doesn't like victories. You see, Jesus already has one victory. He conquered sin and death. He has a victory of you and me. He had a victory of adopting you and me. He has a victory that in the end, at the end of the last chapter of the book, at the final day, Jesus is coming back for his bride. He has the victory. And the devil doesn't like victory. And he doesn't want you to walk in the victory that you already have, that he's already paid for. So he starts lying to you. And then you start forgetting, God didn't do anything for me. When did God show up for me? I can't tell you how many meetings I've had where people have said that God hasn't done anything for me. And we sit there, and one of the most telling moments is when you sit there and you just start asking questions and you do a little exercise like this. Okay, let's put on some worship music. Let's wait on the Lord. I want you, if God, God did anything in your life in the last 30 years that you're praying to him, I want you right now. What happens is they begin to write. As they begin to write, they write more, and at the end, we read it, and we celebrate what God's done. And all of a sudden, the lie that you were believing was broken because of truth that he's been speaking. We just sometimes don't listen. God wants to open our ears that we listen and we look back. And the second thing we need to do is we need to look ahead and we need to run. Everybody say run. Run, which is against our vision. Walk. So before you walk, y'all run. We got to run. We got to look ahead. We got to look that, that, that Jesus, we got to look to the victory. We got to look at what he's doing. We got to see what he's 
done and look to where he is. We got to see what he's done and look to where he is. We, we can't look back and go back to our idle pleasures. Not idle, but our God pleasures. The pleasures that we used to worship, the things that we used to worship and lay down our life and that wasn't Jesus. The things that quickly entrap you, the things that are a snare, right? So that sin wouldn't quickly entangle you or be a snare with you. I mean, just think about the visual image of entangle. It, it, I mean, have you ever been entangled in anything and you couldn't get out? I mean, sometimes I do that in my sheets, you know, when I'm waking up in the morning. How do I get out of these things? You know, but, but it's so quickly entangles you that that word right there it just it, we should be aware of that word when, when the author wrote this quickly that that, that there's this immediacy that it com is coming it's looking to grab you and it's going to be quicker than you know so his wife says run you know, run away from the sin, run, run away from temptation, run away from those pleasures, right? Because it's just looking. It's just looking to grab a hold of you. And what do we run to? We run to him. We run to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We run knowing that he is the hope of glory. And there's a cloud of witnesses of all those people in the hall of fame. They're up there and they're clapping and they're cheering you on. They're saying, run, man, it's worth it. Run, you're going to love it. Run, you won't regret it. Start running. I promise you, I promise you, it will all be worth it. Run to you. But what happens? We got sucker punched. We got sucker punched. And we, we have our head low because when the air gets knocked out of you, it's like hope leaves you. We feel hopeless. You see, hopelessness is a head down, but a head postured up is one of hope. And that's why he says, look, keep your head up, son. Keep your head up, daughter. Look to Jesus. And you will find hope. You will find hope as you run. And it is a full who goes back to the things that he used to know that he thought would please him. It is foolish. It's wisdom to have hope and look to Jesus. It's a fool to, to not look back at what Jesus did, but to go back to the things that you thought satisfied. Things that you were like, oh, man, my appetite was good there. I need to try that. It's a fool. And, and the graphic language of fool right here is Proverbs 26, 11. It says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Like a dog returning to his vomit. Have you ever seen a dog lick up its vomit? It's the worst thing. I used to have this little dog. It's a Yorkie Terrier, and it just went around, and, and it, it would throw up, and it would go back and try to eat its vomit. And, and my goal was to clean up that vomit so quickly so he wouldn't go up to it because that would disgust me, right? And so, so that was like the, the thing to do, and that's what a fool does. A wise man, a wise woman keeps their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our life, knowing that there's going to be a resurrection and not a resuscitation. Yeah, what I mean by that is you have the women who are mentioned in this verse, and they had great faith, and their boys were resuscitated. They were raised to life, right? They were raised from the dead, and, and they were revived, and and, and the, the, the goal is not for you to be revived in the natural, but for you to be resurrected in the supernatural. For that is far much greater. It is nothing more baffling to me, and I understand humanity, is when you're 99 years old and 
You get cancer, which is one of the worst diseases ever. And then all of a sudden, the family decides to do chemo on a 99-year-old because they want them to live another week or another month or another two months. And I'm going to tell you, I, I, I don't want to make those decisions for you. You have to decide that. But what I'm doing is resuscitation or the other, another month is not the goal of Jesus. The goal of Jesus is for resurrection, that you would have new life completely and fully in him in heaven and enjoy him fully that's the price and some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy truth is is that's the faith that we need is that there's a resurrection that there's a hope for the resurrection that there's hope that we're going to live with him that that's faith to have faith in that so we must look up and we need to repent that would be the third point, to look up and repent. And what I mean by repent is to turn away from the things that you've been doing and to look ahead to the place that you're going, to the place that he wants you to go. Jesus represented this emphatically in Hebrews 12 too. He says, who for the joy was set before him, he endured the cross. That even though there's a cross before me, even though there's death, this is what God has called me to. And there's joy in doing what God has called you to. You're going to find joy in that moment. I'm going to invite the worship team up this morning. And we're going to begin to stand and we're going to close with a song. And then I'll come up and dismiss us. But I've just been thinking about this whole idea of resetting. You see, every Sunday we come in here and we just really need a reset. Somebody hit the reset button, please. You don't know what I've been going through, Pastor. It's been a hard week. It's been a hard month. It's just been challenging. And, and I just need a reset. And I pray that every Sunday is a reset for you. And when you come in here, you're just able to reset your mind. You're just able to reset your heart. And then you focus on the thing that matters the most, which is Jesus. He is the prize. We need a reset this morning. Would you stand with me this morning? And I just, I want to tell you this last story is when I grew up, I grew up in the 90s. And when you grew up in the 90s, you had these DOS computers and they would freeze up. And as they froze up, you, there, was, there was something amazing that you could do. You could hit three buttons, control, alt, delete. And for you know that, because everybody else wasn't alive. <laughs> Control, Alt, and Delete. And that's how you would reset it. And, and <clears throat> this is what we need in our life, is we need a Control, Alt, Delete. We need to reset the computer, and we just need to restart, and we need a new heart. And the best way to reset is to get in, the, in just his presence with worship, just letting it illuminate our hearts. And we need a reset. Now, I want to say this is sometimes we don't know how to reset. Right? I, I remember growing up in the 90s and I didn't know about Control-Alt-Delete. Like I, I, I unplugged the whole computer and then plugged it back in and then waited forever. And I just want to encourage you that maybe you don't know how to reset your life. After service, we're going to have some prayer workers and we'd love to pray with you and that would be a start. That would be like hitting the button. Another thing is getting in a connect group and start doing life with people. Some of you is going to be doing one of those marriage classes, and I just need a reset in my marriage. Maybe a reset in my relationships. Whatever it is, I just pray we get a reset.
But I do trust the Holy Spirit. I trust my dad. I trust the Father that he's able to reset you. Father, we thank you for this. God, we worship you. We reset right now. Jesus, thank you that you're the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, give us a new heart and a new mind this morning. In Jesus' name.